Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. But insurance defense, again, very remarkable practice area. Insurance coverage is a very remarkable practice area, but unless you're doing a lot of insurance coverage, you shouldn't really call yourself insurance coverage. You need to be able to market your services and what you do to firms that are willing to take a risk on it and pay you. Okay, so this person said, I'm currently a family law attorney in Utah. Is there a subspecialty I should be working on? I'd like to transfer to Arizona. Yeah, family law is very easy, by the way. In terms of practice areas, it's one of the easiest jobs to get positions in for attorneys. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of them is that there's tons of family law firms all over and they need family law attorneys. I had an instance, I don't know if I talked about it last week or a couple of weeks ago, where I had a family law attorney that was in a, a small market in Colorado, or I don't know what the market was, and wanted to move to a small market in Wisconsin and got, I don't know, seven interviews or something and five job offers. There's just a lot of opportunity for attorneys in family law. There's certainly specialties in, within family law, but just being a family law attorney specializing in a divorce or sometimes they specialize in things like adoption or whatever, you can do very well. I met a girl not too long ago that was working in Los Angeles that had a big practice and was doing millions of dollars a year helping same-sex couples with adoptions. But it was big practice, millions of dollars that she was bringing in with her and two attorneys helping. So there's just all sorts of practice areas that you can work on. And if you transfer to Arizona, just saying you're a family law attorney and putting in the different types of work you do isn't, won't, won't be that difficult in most cases for you to get a position. Family law attorneys are very marketable. It's just that that's all you've been doing. And again, it can be very unpleasant too for family law. I'm a senior law with no business. I have experience in separate areas, med mal, government general liability, condo, insurance coverage, landlord tenant. Should I create a separate recipe uh, for each field in which I've worked. Okay, this is interesting. A lot of times, and this is a very common type of resume, by the way, a lot of times people will have experience in a field which is basically insurance defense and insurance coverage. My guess is that most of what you're doing is related to insurance defense and medical malpractice. That's okay. And that's marketable. And you can certainly put, you've done a little bit of landlord-tenant or you could be insurance defense and insurance coverage, or you could be insurance defense and medical malpractice. But those are very similar. So most, a lot of insurance defense attorneys will have experience in insurance coverage, but just insurance defense generally is actually okay. That's, and you could even throw in MedMal as part of that. Now, MedMal defense is actually more, is probably more marketable than just insurance defense. So if you're like 51% medical malpractice and the rest of it is other stuff, I would call myself a medical malpractice attorney with this other types of experience. All this stuff about landlord-tenant stuff, I doesn't sound like it's a very significant portion of your practice, so I really wouldn't emphasize that. What we do, if you go to BCG onto the website and just go to the homepage and you look at the practice areas, we typically, we look at over 300 different practice areas, but what we'll typically do is we'll have a primary practice area and a second secondary. So you need to figure out what is your primary practice area? Like what do you spend what do you spend the most of your time doing? And then you can have secondary practice areas, but which would be could be like your landlord tenant and all that stuff. But if I was you and I had that type of resume, I would basically call myself insurance defense if that's mean. 
that specializes in medical mal and general liability. And then maybe depending on the coverage, you could put that in there as well. But insurance defense, again, very marketable practice area. It's very funny because recruiters, we place tons of insurance defense attorneys and, and it's a very marketable practice area. Most recruiters only work with corporate or litigation from big firms, but these are very marketable practice areas, even if you're senior. There's certainly plenty of opportunity for attorneys to do that, but you have to figure out, and this is, goes for everybody, what do you call yourself? What do you spend most of your time doing? Calling yourself an insurance coverage attorney is not really accurate unless you're doing people. Insurance coverage is a very remarkable practice area, but unless you're doing a lot of insurance coverage, you shouldn't really call yourself insurance coverage. And so this sounds more insurance defense doing these other things. That's how I've been marketed. Again, very remarkable practice area. And I do recommend to everybody, whatever your practice area is, you just need to break it down. One of the things that, and focus on it, this is a very honest description of the practice area. Sometimes people will think, oh, I need to look more like a general commercial litigator, and that's better than being an insurance defense attorney. Well, actually, insurance defense attorneys are probably, as they get more senior, more marketable than commercial litigation. So while commercial litigation may often pay more, the big firms at least, insurance defense is often much more marketable and there's a lot more work. So then insurance coverage is certainly a practice here that's done in big firms, but that's how I would worthwhile it. And then this is a good question here. It says, is it worthwhile to reach out to law firms even though no position posted? Absolutely. That's the smartest thing you can do. Yeah. I could talk about this all day, but the odd, when you apply to a firm, when you apply to a firm without an opening, when you apply to a firm without an opening, you're the only applicant. And the firm is, uh, is flattered to get the application. So it's great. It's like the smartest thing you can possibly do if, if you are a good fit. So I recommend everybody apply to firms without openings. I don't know what the statistics are now, but at one point at BCG, I researched it and we did up the numbers and it was something like 85% of our placements were with firms that didn't have openings. So think about that. Like an entire company built on firms without openings. So do I recommend you apply to firms without openings? Hell yeah. You'd have to be out of your mind not to. And again, this is something that no one does. And it's very simple because if you're applying to firms without openings, you're the only applicant. So the firm has an opening, they could receive hundreds of applicants. And if they receive hundreds of applicants, every new applicant is an annoyance as opposed to only one applicant for a firm that, and people love that. They'll look at it. It's, if you have 100 applications or 200 applications to look at, that's a lot of work and it's just, you know, you have to plow through them. And, but if you get just one applicant, it's got your attention, especially small law firms that don't have a lot of applicants. So that can be very helpful. Okay. When is it worth for a civil litigator working for a municipality to take a pay cut for what appears to be a more potential future growth? How do you make the decision? How much of a pay cut is worth taking for the future growth? Okay, so this is a good, a very good question. And so civil litigator taking a pay cut. I think government versus private practice is basically the, the question. So here's what I think about that. If you're working as a, for a municipality as a litigator and you're making a good salary, that is stability it's authority because you're working for a government. So, so you have that credibility and you may be able to get pensions and security, better hours, better, more leeway in terms of the quality of your work. I don't know, but 
there could be all sorts of benefits of that. And then to go to work in private practice, you're suddenly up against the market. A municipality gets tax dollars flowing in all the time, whereas a private practice, you're dependent on the ability of the person that's running the firm or the people running the firm to generate revenue to do so. And so that's, it's a little bit scarier working for private practice. So if you have a secure job in the government, is it worth going into private practice for less money? I don't know, less security. What is your long-term goal? You're, you would have to learn how to generate business and do all these other things. I don't know. That's a great question. I can tell you that the happiest I was ever practicing law was when I was working for a federal judge and I got to go home before six every night and no weekends and got a guaranteed paycheck. It was just and job security, you know, whereas going to private practice is different things. A lot of times when attorneys go into private practice, there's a different pace to things. The expectations are different. It's a completely different animal. And that may be something that you're ready for or not. In private practice, ultimately, the benefit of that is you can obviously make a lot more money. You can have a lot more potential. You can probably get a wider variety of different types of work. You can bring in business and have your own job. So the idea is that in, in law firms are very entrepreneurial, by the way. People are like saying, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I never want to practice law. But it's very entrepreneurial because your job is to build up a book of business. And then once you build up a book of business, you basically shop that around to different firms and the ones you like the best are works that way. So that's what I, your, your question, is it worth it to go into private practice? That really depends on you and depends on what you think the benefits are as opposed to the drawbacks. And that's scary. I don't know how much the pay cut is, but it's definitely going to be a different type of experience. So I would, I would be careful. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. Okay, so this question is, what is the best market for corporate tax, domestic and international? I'm licensed to California, New York. I think that I would probably say New York is going to be the best because it's a financial center. And so you're certainly in Northern California. That corporate tax is obviously all over. But to answer that question, I think one of the best ways is just to search job openings. You can go to BCG and add, enter those markets. To make the most money, though, in terms of your highest salary, and that's not to say after taxes and so forth, I would generally say for those positions would be Northern California and New York would probably be the biggest ones. Next question. Let me just see here. What about foreign attorneys? Putting aside regulatory requirements for practice, do you think it's possible to find work in the U.S.? Have you seen cases on that regard? So that's a good question. So there are always, one of the things I don't like very much, and there's all these LLM programs at all these different schools, and, and they're, some of them are very good. There's nothing wrong with them. But they, a lot of foreign attorneys will come over and go to these LLM programs and then want to get jobs after they come out of them. And, and for the most part, the jobs that people that are foreign attorneys, when they get these LLMs that they're thinking about are working in the largest U.S. law firms. And for the most part, there's really not a lot of opportunities and most for foreign attorneys in a lot of these law firms. Uh, the reason is they just, 
there's all the same questions that we talked about earlier, which are, can you do the job? Will you do the job long-term? All those sorts of things make the firms nervous. And large law firms, frankly, would are almost always hire U.S. attorneys as opposed to LLMs and that sort of thing. But they certainly do get jobs. And it's not to say it's unheard of. It's just, I can tell you from decades of looking at resumes that it's very rare attorney will get a position with a U.S. law firm more than, for more than a few years. So your question is, what about them? Is it possible to find? So what I, would, what I always recommend to LLMs is, or foreign attorneys is if you come over and you get an LLM and you get a JD on top of that, it's much easier to get a job. So getting a JD on top of the LLM, even though it's an extra three years, makes it much easier. If you don't want to do that, then you need to look at smaller firms outside of the largest cities or smaller firms in large cities if you can't get a job with a large law firm. That is the best way to do it. You need to be able to market your services and what you do to firms that are willing to take a risk on it and pay you. But it's very difficult for them to see the logic of hiring someone from a foreign country that is from a different legal system if you don't have a USJD or that kind of experience. So there's so many attorneys that try to get positions in U.S. law firms that are, that are coming from foreign countries, but the firms that they think about are always the biggest ones, and that's not really the way to go about it. It's also very difficult. There's no recruiters, really, they certainly can be involved, but, but people apply to work with us all the time that are LLMs and so forth in school, and there's, we have nothing to market because they don't have experience. There's an eligibility requirement to work in the U.S. Do you have papers to do that? And so law firms are just a little bit nervous about it. And that, so it's very difficult. So my advice would be to, if you want to work in the U.S., is to get a JD. And then, or if you don't do that, to apply to not just the biggest American firms and then go home, uh, but you have to find smaller law firms that are willing to invest in you and see the logic in it. And it is actually a very smart thing, in my opinion, for law firms to hire foreign attorneys, because there's so few people that will do so, that if they do hire you, then you're more likely to stay and they have more control over you. So it's actually a smart thing for law firms to do, but meaning you're unlikely to leave because no one else is, no one else is going to want to take the risk. So it's very smart, but very few law firms do that. Okay. Does your typical client conduct a search at the same time you are looking for potential opportunities for them? Obviously, as a recruiting firm or a placement firm, it does create difficulties when when we're making recommendations to the person who's doing the search at the same time for themselves. But we're a law firm placement company. So sometimes people will be interviewing with the government or they'll be interviewing in-house or doing different searches at the same time we're trying to help them. As long as the person's working with us and they may be applying in other ways to other types of places, it's not, we can't tell people what to do and why would we? In most cases, we're much more capable than if you're conducting your search at the same time, you can do much better using a recruiting firm than, you know, than on your own. There's just a million reasons for that. And I, I could talk about it all day. And my point of this is not to uh, convince anybody to do one thing or not. But the typical client does not conduct the search at the same time. Most people will commit to us helping them, at least with law firms. And then if they find things that we haven't found, I mean, I don't see why there's nothing wrong with that. And why would I care? But the person's job is to get a position to do. But in most cases, if you're using an agent or something like that to help you, 
whether it's a real estate agent or a whoever it is. And if I was using a real estate agent, for example, to find a house, I would probably tell the real estate agent if I found another opportunity and ask them to look into it for me. If I said I found this house that they didn't tell me about, could they look into it for me? That's how I would conduct myself. But most people have to make up their mind. And is there a benefit to using an agent? If I was a candidate of mine, I don't think I would want to, for law firms, I wouldn't be interested in using 10 different recruiters and applying on my own. But if I was a candidate of a a recruiter and I didn't feel like the recruiter was sending me enough opportunities or working hard on my behalf, then hell yeah, I'm of course, you need to, everybody needs to look out for themselves and do the best that they can. And so there's no, I certainly would not dissuade people from doing whatever they need to do to, to get ahead. That's, you have to look out for your self-interest. The problem I think that a lot of people have when they don't trust agents is they end up harming themselves. Like I've been doing what I do for a long time. So I believe that I have a good understanding of what it takes to succeed and people that commit to what I do for them do succeed. But a very few people there are always people that don't, and they think that they don't trust people. They don't, and they don't. And so they're always on the move. And, and because they don't trust people, they're, they have problems that in, in terms of achieving what they could. But yeah, so that's just how I would think about that. No, the typical person does not simultaneously, at least it's for law firms, compete with us. But, but for in-house and stuff, yes, of course. What if I have some clients, but the work is not sufficient, which is why I'm looking for a job instead? When to switch to job instead of solo practice or the pros and cons of a job versus solo? So the problem with being a solo, and there's not really any problems with it, but if you're a solo, then, then you need to learn how to grow your business. And there's lots of services out there that will help solos that have their training and there's all sorts of stuff where they show you how to bring in more business and how to do things. And so that, that is something that I would do if I was a solo practitioner. I would take all the courses in terms of marketing and learning all about what it takes to get positions if I was a solo practitioner, how to get clients. I would try to learn all about that. And if you do that, you could do very well, I think, as a solo, and especially if you have a good niche. Solos that have niches in different practice areas, trusts and estates or family law or whatever, can do exceptionally well as attorneys. Ones that don't, that are generalist, often have a difficult time. And also being a solo, you need to learn how to work files. And it's very difficult collecting money compared to what generalists experience. So you just need to really think about all what are the advantages. Now, going to work for a law firm can actually be very good because you can suddenly take those clients and sell them on other services the law firm may have in other practice areas. The clients will often spend more money with you because they believe that you have more credibility because there's a brand behind you. You can you potentially leverage the work of associates and, and other people on your files, and the law firm will hire them for you and help you. So there's a lot of benefits to working with a law firm as opposed to having a solo practice. At the same time, you're going to be under a lot of different pressures than you would as a solo practitioner. But if it was me and I was a solo, what I would try to do first is I, if I was, I would try to learn everything I could about building up a book of business and, and doing what I could and reading all about that and studying it. And then after that, I would do whatever I could to get better, to see what I could get out of the law firm. Because if you go to work, if you, for a solo, and the more work you have, 
the more leverage you're going to have when you try to get a position with a law firm. If you don't have a lot of business, you're, you're not going to have as much leverage. So I would try to get as much business as I could first and learn everything until you exhaust. That's what I would do. What if I have some clients with the works? Okay, same question. Sorry, I keep doing that. I apologize. Okay. I'm a senior patent prosecution attorney. All of my firm's clients have been very large tech companies. It seems difficult to get any of these clients on my own to bring business to my firm. It seems like it would be easier for Lars, a general practice firm, to bring in the work because bringing the work because every business needs legal work done, but only some firms need patent work. Is it considered bad to be patent prosecution and not having your own clients? So one thing about patent prosecution is I know lots of patent prosecutors that that have solo practices or small practices that do have large clients. And I don't think there's any, if you're a very good patent prosecution attorney, I don't think there's any practice area out there like patent prosecution where there's more junior, where there's more small law firms doing work for large companies. So Microsoft, Amazon, like all these big companies, sometimes there's like firms of two or three people doing all their patent work. I once was working with a, with a patent agent that had a couple million dollars in business that was working, doing all this work on his own. It was crazy because he was very good at what he did. He had a PhD in some bio, I don't know. But the point is, in terms of what you're trying to do um, with those types of big clients, I'm sure that there's smaller clients that do similar types of stuff. And your law and your firm may be able to, may be interested in those clients. One of the problems with patent prosecution that I've seen in terms of, I've been doing, working with patent prosecutors for a long time, is that in large, I don't know where you are, but if you're like in a large Silicon Valley firm, a lot of the money for that, for the work for the large companies will Either the companies make a lot of money or they're funded and things and they're able to able to to bring to get a, they have a lot of money to spend on patent prosecution. So one of the problems with patent prosecution is a lot of the work at the smaller companies and the mid-sized companies that are budget sensitive. It's not done on an hourly basis or it's done on a flat rate and it's very difficult to bring in that type of work with as a as a patent prosecutor and if you're competing with that and you're at a large law firm. So I don't think to answer your question, you asked two questions. Uh, the first thing is, I don't think it's that difficult to get work as a patent prosecution attorney if you know how to market what you do and network. But if you don't, is it bad to to be in a in a firm without your own business? I don't think compared to other practice areas, I don't. And if you're a patent prosecutor as an older attorney, um, I don't think it's very difficult to find jobs doing work for uh, other firms as a senior attorney. You may have to be geographically flexible. For example, it sounds like you're in like you do hard IP, which is like electrical engineering, physics, that sort of thing, computer science. But there's certain markets where it's very difficult if you're in bio to get positions. But most hard IP attorneys without business can, if you're willing to look at enough markets, can always get jobs. It's really not that bad. And it's not that hard to market yourself. I've placed countless senior patent prosecutors without business. And it's really, it's not that hard compared to other practice areas. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not going to find them on major job boards. Because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, 
the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. I'm a licensed patent attorney and have also done trademark and other IP work, but have expanded into other transactional areas, contracts, privacy, ethics, technology. Do I need to tailor a resume to only show IP work or IP-related work? To answer your question, it depends on the type of job you're applying for. But again, you have every resume or every background should have a primary practice area. And every attorney usually has a primary and secondary practice area. So your primary would be patents, probably, patent-related work. But that's fine. So here's basically, I'm going to give you a very simple answer to this question. And the reason this is a simple answer is because it's just, it's very simple. So you have large markets, you know, which are your New York, LA, et cetera. And then you have small market, and then you have mid-sized, mid-sized, and then you have smaller markets. And then you have your, your large firms, same thing, firms, mid-sized, smaller. Okay. So your background, and this is, I hope everyone on this webinar understands this point, because this is actually a very important point and a good question you asked. So if you're, a pat, if you're like a patent attorney that does all these other things, and, um, and you want to work at a big firm in LA, I would say, no, it's not going to work. It could work. Well, anyway, it's not going to work. But if you want to work in a mid-sized market, yes. And smaller market, yes. And the reason is, is that these are typically smaller clients, smaller clients that are willing to have generalists work on their stuff. People that are more general, people that are more of a generalist work on their stuff. So what does that mean? What that means is that if you're a law firm, say, if you're a corporate attorney, for example, in, I don't know, like a mid-sized firm, if you're a corporate attorney in Madison, Wisconsin, at a mid-sized firm, you're going to be expected to know about M&A, about general, you may do some securities, I don't know, you may, whatever, you'd be more of a generalist because the clients, the clients don't expect you to have you do not expect hardcore expertise. If they wanted hardcore expertise, they would go to a big firm in Chicago or something. So they don't mind that you have experience in all facets of corporate law, where is that might not fly as much in a big market. So it's the same thing with what you're talking about. So if you want to have kind of this generalist resume for IP, that's actually okay. But it's not going to fly to say, uh, applying for a trademark job in New York or LA and if that if you do this other stuff, so you're going to have to look very focused in the large markets, but the mid-sized and smaller markets, sure, they're going to be like, yeah, that's great. I love this generalist stuff because our clients from time to time need trademark and they need licensing, and, um, but they also need patents. So they'll like that. That's fine. Same thing with smaller firms a lot of times, but it usually depends on the size of the market. So if the market is a mid-sized to smaller market, then being a generalist is okay more of a generalist in that practice area. So they can say, yes, we've got a great IP attorney. And that's it. Now, what's funny, I didn't bring this up, but New York, there's not a lot of patent prosecution. Uh, And the reason, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's basically because New York firms can't be competitive for the most part on 
they don't want to charge flat rates and they, uh, the hourly rates are too high. And there's just a lot of times, and even in New York, we'll see people that are IP generalists in the major firms, which I shouldn't even bring that up because it's sending you down a rabbit hole. And this, but the point is that uh, mid-sized to smaller markets are going to be perfectly fine with you being a, a generalist many times and in IP. Now, if you said you did corporate and all this other stuff on top of that, they wouldn't like it. But what you're talking about is that. Now, if a law firm is specifically geez, seeking someone that is a patent attorney, um, you would definitely de-emphasize trademark and other stuff if you're applying for a job. And I don't think you're going to be able to get a job just being a trademark attorney if you're doing mainly patent law. I'm in immigration law with 25 years of practice. I actually use some of your techniques to open my own, my own to find a job across the country and open a branch office in Orlando for an immigration firm. Nice work. Uh, I'm a partner in this branch office. Great. They also let me do the job remotely. So my business. Uh, well, it's been almost a year, but the amount of business being brought in has been very disappointing. I rely solely in the firm's main office marketing to bring a business, but it really has fallen short. I realized also that because of my special needs son that I don't want to be in the office all the time, I need to continue being remote. How is it is for me to find a position as a senior attorney with no real business book, but stay in this area? Okay, so there's a lot going on there. The first thing is if you're an attorney, especially a senior one in a branch office of a, or a floor of a firm, so you're in like Orlando and the firm's not bringing in business, one of the things that attorneys and branch offices need to do, and I, it's often very difficult, especially if you're reliant on attorneys in other offices, is you need to be, you know, you need to start talking to partners with business in other offices, meaning networking with them, contacting them, asking if they have any work being visible, asking if there's anything you can do for them, and being top of mind. It's the same thing with the marketing people in the firm. You just need to be very aggressive and, and out there and seen. Otherwise, they're just going to forget about you. All they're going to see is your low hours and, and that sort of thing. So I would definitely recommend getting out there. I know lots of immigration attorneys. And, and frankly, a lot of them are hustlers. Like They're out there giving a lot of presentations and doing things. I would do the same thing. I would think about where can I how can I be seen and develop business? There's so much work you can do as an immigration attorney. I've known lots of immigration attorneys with huge books of business. You have there's just there's tons and tons of work. So if you're relying on the firm to give you all the business, that that's tough. I would recommend doing a few things on your firm bio. Uh, you should beef it up to the extent you can to talk about all the work you're doing so it's found in search engines. I would also maybe even this, I shouldn't be telling you this, but even hire an SEO company to drive links to your firm bio page. Very smart thing you can do. Or just get some links from other sources going in. So you come up and people are searching for someone that does the type of work you're doing in Orlando. I would also, but that would be the big thing. I would try to get as much work as I could from other attorneys. Then I would also ask them if you could do some of their work. And and that's how I would do that. So you need to be like top of mind awareness of other partners in the firm and in the other offices. And it's not just their marketing, it's got to be your marketing too. To the extent you can get out there and hustle, I would do that. I do think there's there are people that I don't know who they are, but I do think there are some groups for immigration attorneys that may help with getting business and that sort of thing. So I'm not really sure about that, but I would do whatever I could to do that. And so then you have the issue of the special needs son and you don't want to be in the home and you want to be remote. I don't see any problem with being remote. Most attorneys now are a good portion of them are remote, at least most of the time. 
more a good part of the time. Um, but you, your next question is, how is it easy to find a position in your practice area without any business to stay in that area? I would say not too hard at all. So if you do a search for immigration attorneys in Orlando on Google, you'll probably get, I would get, I don't know, Orlando, a lot of firms, probably at least 50, maybe 100. Those are all places you can work. I don't think you have anything to worry about in terms of getting jobs. My first inclination would be do any, everything as close to home as you possibly can. So you need to network the attorneys in your existing firm, ask them if there's anything you can do and and not and really give it your all first. And that, that means just being top of mind and, and that sort of thing. But it sounds like you've done a great job moving across the country to a very competitive legal market, but it's not going to be that difficult for you to find another immigration position in Orlando if you, there's a lot of demand. It may not pay as much as you're making, but I think it would be not too difficult. That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you're an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com. 